Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. get into it. I'm excited to get into our series we've been running now for a couple weeks called the Beatitudes. Say the Beatitudes. It's the attitudes in which we be is how I look at it. But we've been digging into some things. This is probably one of the most famous portions of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, again called the Beatitudes. And so we've been looking the last couple weeks uh, at four of them. We've been doing two a week and the Beatitudes, for me, are like really any of the gospel. When you start to dig and, and things are revealed to you, it kind of turns your world upside down. Has anyone ever experienced that? Like, you know, maybe you got saved when you were 7 or you were 13 or, or 20, and, and you've gone to church for a long time, but suddenly you're going along and you begin to see something different in the Scripture. It was a Scripture you've read a million times, but all of a sudden it comes alive. How many know that Scripture right? It is inspired, right? And it has this way of, it's, it's never dead. It's living. It's the living word. And so sometimes we call it, scripture calls it a rhema word. Something comes alive. It just jumps off the page at us. But sometimes what that does is it puts you in an uncomfortable place because it challenges what you used to believe. Anyone experience that? And so when you, when you, these challenges come out, it's really good to be surrounded by people who you trust, people who you know that they have your heart and your best interest in mind, but also people who are teachable, whose mind and spirit is open to maybe hear something different. See, if we've been raised, especially in denomination, we have one way of looking at things. And Holy Spirit is a way of messing with our denominations. Come on, somebody. To where sometimes things are challenged and so... I was talking to a brother yesterday about it. It's like you live in this constant state of uncomfortableness. Not in a bad way. I call it walking by faith. See, when you, when you think you know it all, when you, when you think you have the market cornered on truth, let me say something, that's not walking by faith. And so we live in a society where we feel like we have to know everything and everything has to be this solid principle that we back up with scripture and verse. But here's what I found. Sometimes those scriptures and verses will start to change and we'll see things differently. We're not changing it. It's changing us. Come on, someone. Because we often read into scripture what our belief system is. And if we allow Holy Spirit, we'll sometimes disrupt. And that's what Jesus does with the Beatitudes. He disrupts that. And so as we dig deeper into the understanding of what Jesus was saying, especially to a first century Jew, it meant something different to them than maybe it means to us today. And so, again, I'm just asking as we go through this that you're open and you're honest with yourself, that we're, we're teachable. We have pliable hearts as we go into this because I definitely believe that you will see truths that will change your paradigm, will change the way that you think if we allow it. So let's look at the Gospel of uh, Matthew. We're going to go through this. Uh, one, one thing that Jesus did, and, and it's interesting, he loved to talk to people, but people didn't always understand what he was saying. He would often talk in parables, and he would say things that they didn't quite understand. And sometimes, you know, later afterward, the disciples would be like, what did you even mean by that? Some people would get it, some people wouldn't. And so this is one of those occasions where he saw the multitudes. He saw this opportunity, and he went up onto a mountain. You know, he was seated there with his, his disciples and these people surrounding. It says, then he opened his mouth, and he taught them. Say, taught them. He's trying to teach us something maybe different than what we believed previously 
and he said, and this is where it begins. And so last week, we talked about the meek. Blessed are the meek. We talked about blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. How many were here for that? If you haven't heard that yet or even the week before, I encourage you uh, to please go online to our podcast, to YouTube or Facebook and check that out. We don't have time to recap today. There's just too much to get through. So uh, buckle up your seats. We're going to get going here. And I want to start here in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. They shall see God. Now, you know, we've said this every week. If you weren't here, I'll recap this real quickly. The, the word that Jesus uses to set up every single one of these statements, these beatitudes, is the word blessed. Say blessed. Now, this word blessed, it comes from the, uh, the Greek word makarios, and it means supremely blessed, fortunate, or well-off. Now, when the people heard this word, though, makarios, they actually would be thinking of an island that was off the coast of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea that was called the Happy Island. Doesn't that sound fun? I mean, who wants to go to the Happy Island? Anyone here? But what was interesting about this island is that everything necessary for life and living was already on the island. You didn't have to go to another island. You didn't have to go to the mainland. Everything was there. And so when people heard Jesus say that, they were, they were getting this mental picture of this island that was completely self-sufficient, that was completely self-contained. Right off the bat, Jesus is saying to the people that everything you need for happiness, contentment, peace, and joy it's self-contained. It's already in you. What was the main message of Jesus? Repent. And that's not a dirty word. Metanoia in the Greek, it means to what? Anyone know? Change your mind. Now, repent in the Hebrew means to turn. You put them together, what happens? Well, most of us know you turn and go a different way once you change your mind. And so he was saying, change your mind the kingdom of God, it's right here. It's at hand. At one point, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. That's a powerful statement. So if the kingdom's within us, I think we need to find out how to let that kingdom out. How about you? And so I don't believe it's a challenge to become something that we are not. It's an awakening to who we already are. And Jesus starts every beatitude, every statement off with this reminder. So let's go back to verse 7. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Say mercy. Now, this word mercy here in the Greek, it's going to be a little teachy today, so just buckle in, but I think you're going to be blessed by this. I'm going to help you shift some ideas here because Jesus shifted my, my ideas. But this is the word elaimon, and it means actively compassionate. Say Mercy means actively compassionate. It's your first time here on a while community. We're kind of like a class. I have you repeat stuff a lot, but I believe when you repeat and when you take notes, it helps it to stick, okay? So it means to be actively compassionate. And it kind of, it brought me to this idea of this is a lifestyle, right? Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are actively compassionate. Why? For they shall obtain active compassion. 
It's kind of that you reap what you sow. You ever notice this? You go through, if you're in the store, most of the time, now I know here in the 21st century with social media and all the stuff that people get bombarded with, it doesn't always happen. But usually when you smile at someone across the aisle, what do they do back? They smile. It's kind of like automatic. Even if they want to, like, no, I won't. I swear I won't, right? I want to be mad. I want to be sad. But it's an automatic thing. And he says, blessed are those who are actively compassionate. It's a lifestyle. And it brought me to James chapter 2. Let's look over there. I want to give us some more context to this life that Jesus is calling to, which, by the way, is already contained within. Come on. Verse 12 of James 2 says, So speak and so do. Now stop right there for a second. When you speak and you do, what is that reflecting? Your lifestyle. Who you are. Look at this. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Anyone heard of the law of liberty we have in Christ Jesus? Now this word judge is really interesting. It's the word krino in the Greek, and it means to set apart, to approve, esteem, and prefer. So speak and do as those who are approved, esteemed, and set apart and preferred by the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. Man, that just takes a whole different view of it, doesn't it? This is how we have to see ourselves, that we are approved, we are esteemed, we are preferred, we are set apart. That word holy, like I said today, we are whole, we are complete in Christ. So speak and so do. So live as those who are approved, esteemed, in the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. Look at this, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy, there's that word, to the one who has shown no, what? Mercy. And we sang this today. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, that word judgment, krisis, means condemnation and punishment. And what I'm seeing here is there's two ways that we can live. We can live one way where we see ourselves as approved, esteemed, and preferred by this law of liberty, or we can choose to not see we're approved and esteemed and lived under condemnation. And guess what? There's no way you can live a life of mercy. There's no way that you can live a life of active compassion towards others if you feel like you don't even measure up. Judgment, show no mercy to those who do not walk in mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Think about this. Those who walk in mercy walk in the law of liberty. I'd like to sum it up like this. While judgment threatens condemnation, mercy prevails over judgment. And this is how we should live. In 1 John chapter 3, this is one of the first letters that the apostle John wrote to the churches in Asia Minor. He says this, my little children, say my little children, I just love the heart of John. Uh, we call him the apostle of love. I mean, he just really understood. I mean, he was like the closest disciple to Jesus. Even when Jesus was on the cross, do you remember when he looked down and wanted to make sure that his mother had care? And he looks to the only apostle who's there out of the 12, right? It's John. And he says, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. In other words, hey, take care of moms, man, because I, I, I won't be back for a while, Right? He wanted to make sure, but John was even the one that rested his head on Jesus at the Last Supper. There was something about this relationship. And here he is. He's probably, theologians think, in his 80s or 90s. He's been physically in relationship with Christ. He's been spiritually connected with the Godhead. And he says, my little children, I just love this. 
But get this, he says, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in what? Deed and in truth. It's not enough to say, I love you. You have to live a life of active compassion. He goes on to say, and by this, by what? You living out love, we know that you are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How many know it's great to have an assured heart? But look at this. For if our heart condemns us, even if that happens, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So even if our hearts would accuse us, that's, that's another word, another translation of it, accuse us, condemn us. Be, and here's the reason it condemns us, because we don't see the truth of who we are. Even if our heart is condemning us of not really being true to ourselves, John says God is greater than our hearts. Why? He has the full picture. He, he already knows who you are. That's why in the ministry of Jesus, you never saw Jesus call out the sin in people. He called out the son in people. He wanted people to know that you belong. There's a family. You may not know it yet. That's why the apostle Paul uses orphan language. How many orphans have a family? They weren't magically just born. They have a family, but the orphans don't know who their family is. And Paul was trying to convince us of this family connection and was saying, listen, don't be an orphan. Don't walk and do life as an orphan. Walk and do life as a son and daughter of God. But that word here, condemn or accuse, is the word kataganosko. It means to blame or condemn. You know, it's only been used three times in the New Testament. And it comes from two words. This is really interesting. It comes from the word kata, which means down or below. And the word gnosko, which means to know. So think about this. It's to know from below. Let me say it like this. It's to know from a fallen mindset perspective. See, often when we think of the creation story, we think of the fall, we think of these two people who sinned. Well, we blame the woman. It was her fault. Maybe Adam couldn't contain himself. He's like, all right, babe, I'll go down with you. No, no, no. The fall was a fallen mindset. They believed the lie that they weren't just like God, that they weren't made in the image and likeness. He said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be what? Just like God. The answer should have been, we already are. Take a hike. But we can't be hating on them because we do the same things in our life. You're perfect. You're whole. You're complete. No, I'm unworthy. I'm ashamed. I'm broken. Ah, uh, that's not God's story about you. So we all can fall into this trap and believe the lie. But what happens in this moment, this condemnation literally comes from this idea of thinking from a fallen mindset or perspective. I said this earlier, and I know it probably rattled some cages, that sin doesn't separate us from God. Well, the only place in Scripture that, that we could maybe try to somehow put that together is when Jesus is on the cross. And you remember where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so, you know, listen, years ago I preached a message. It was the one time where God turned his back on Jesus. And I meant it with everything I had. I mean, that, that's what I thought. Until one day I'm cruising through the Psalms and I come to Psalm 22 and literally the opening words to this song is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm like, what? I started reading through. It's actually a prophetic psalm. 
It lays out everything that happened to Jesus, right down to the casting of lots for his garments. And at the very end, it says, get this, your face did not turn away from me. Your face had always shined toward me. In other words, Jesus felt like God wasn't there. But then Paul tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's why I love in the movie The Shack. Anyone seen The Shack? Beautiful movie. When you see God, God has nail scars as well. That's beautiful to me. God wasn't outside saying, I just need someone. I need someone to beat up so I can be okay with humanity. God was in. Man, this makes me emotional. God was there. Taking our sin, our hatred, our violence toward him. God and Jesus doing it together. Maybe Jesus felt alone. Come on, anyone ever felt alone? God, where are you in this situation? I felt those times, but I'm convinced that God does not go anywhere. He promised to never leave me, never forsake me. And it's so powerful when you realize that God was in Christ reconciling the world. And listen, Jesus was vindicated as the right way through the resurrection. Come on, somebody. And now we can live that resurrected life. It's so beautiful. And so it's not a matter of, because I even look, in, I even look in, in the creation story. When Adam and Eve fell, even in their perspective, they, they sinned. Did God leave them? No, he came to them. He literally went as far to clothe their nakedness, their shame. And then God went out of the garden with them. How do we know that? Because just a few verses later, we see Cain, he's kind of wrestling with this idea and said the Lord appeared to him and said, Cain, watch out. Sin crouches at the door looking for opportunity. That fallen mindset, that, that, that way of, of living that isn't truly you, it's, it's going to try and get you just like it did mama and daddy. It's trying to get you. And what did he do? He gave in to the lie once again. And so there is a state of estrangement. There's a place where we have to awaken. That's why it's so important we preach the gospel. People need to hear the gospel so they can, they can awaken and believe and step into it. And once they step in, they'll get in line with who they truly are as a son or daughter. That's important. But listen, your sin doesn't scare God. Sin is not God's kryptonite. I mean, Jesus ate with the, not to glorify their sin, but to love them because it's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to what? Repentance. So he was with people in their stuff. And on the cross, he experienced everything that any of us could ever experience, that human condition. Why? To show us that, listen, God's with us. God loves us, and he will vindicate us through resurrection. Amen? I went way off my notes, but someone needed to hear that this morning. I love this quote from Francois de Troyes, theologian, and he's actually the author of the Mirror Bible. He says, when we know what God knows to be true about us, then instead of condemning us, our hearts will endorse our innocence and free our conversation before God. Doesn't it feel good when you just feel clean? When you know that God loves you and you're clean, I'm telling you, the best way to clean up your life 
is to know who you are. And then your actions will begin to reflect what you think and what you believe about yourself. Because here's the thing, fear cannot coexist in love. It's absolutely impossible. The perfect love union that we're talking about expels fear. You see, fear holds on to an expectation of crisis and judgment. Love opens us up to the truth of who we are. And listen to this, our only, in this state, our only expectation is love from our Heavenly Father. That's our expectation. And in that, trusting that Holy Spirit is continually awakening us to the truth of who we are. And guess who we are? We're sons and daughters. Say, I'm a son and I'm a daughter. Just one more scripture. I want to drive this home today. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I want us to see this, to really get this. It's this idea of living a life of mercy, of living a life of active compassion. And it's in Matthew chapter 7. It's a scripture that has been used for a long time to scare us into the idea that very few are going to make it into heaven. It's Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Anyone familiar with this? Let's read it. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the wide is the gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, say narrow, narrow. is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are how many? Few, Few who find it. Now, for years, I believe this was kind of like the gospel story. You know, like, if you want to if you wanna get in through that little tiny righteous door, man, you got to work really hard because there's really few who will find it. And I would lay awake at night asking God to forgive me from every sin, even the ones I forgot, because, dear God, if something happened, if Jesus came back in the middle of the night, you're kind of smiling laughing because maybe some of us have been there where there's just this fearful idea, and we're like, wide is the gate. Oh, that's those crazy people. They listen to heavy metal music, and they party, you know. Those are the ones. But how many know that? It's important to read scripture in context. If you look at the context of scripture, the first 12 verses of chapter 7 are literally talking about living a life that shows mercy and active compassion. He talks about not judging others lest you be judged. How many know when we don't judge someone who maybe we feel needs it, that's walking in active compassion. He also talks about the idea of dealing with the plank in your own eye before even trying to call it the speck in someone else's. Come on, we're familiar with this. He says things like, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. That sounds like the, the goodness, the grace, the active compassion of God, doesn't it? And then it even goes on further to describe that God is a good father. He's even better than an earthly father. He would say even an evil, he uses the word evil, an evil earthly father wouldn't give his kid bad stuff if they're asking for good stuff, right? If he, if he asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If he asks for fish, he's not going to give you a scorpion. I mean, he uses these comparisons to say, well, how much greater is heavenly father than that? Jesus is saying that the narrow way is walking in mercy, it's walking in active compassion. Why? Because the wide gate is much easier. By experience, I can tell you, sometimes that wide gate is so much easier. Because the narrow gate is, I will show active compassion. I will show grace. I will show forgiveness regardless. Come on, Jesus is our best example. 
you know Jesus never retaliated? The way of Jesus has really jacked up a lot of my ideas, politically, socially, theologically, but I'm open to it. I want to follow Jesus, not some theology. I want to follow Jesus, not a political party. Come on. I want to follow Jesus, not a social idea. I'm just saying. It's really important that we see this. And I know it's, I know it's a, a political year and we're all freaking out. Don't freak out. Just follow the Holy Spirit. Vote. Don't vote. Do what you need to do. But listen, from this pulpit, you'll never see us taking sides because the uh, kingdom of God is the best kingdom. Come on, somebody. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. How many want mercy in their life? How many want to live and go through that narrow gate? Amen. Verse 8, we'll, we'll keep going here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I think this beatitude is best worked from back to front. So let's start with this idea, for they shall see God. Say that with me. For they shall see God. See, this is speaking as someone who has awakened or, or truly can perceive who God is. All through scripture, we see this idea of awakening. It's just a beautiful thing. When you awaken to something, it doesn't mean it wasn't there. It means you just, your eyes opened and there it was, right? It didn't just appear when your eyes opened, you awakened to it. But you're awakening to the truth of who God is and what God is like. Now, let me ask you this. What is the opposite of seeing? Anyone? Being blind, right? Being blind or blindness. Jesus said, this was interesting. When I was reading this, it just came to me. Jesus said that he came to give sight to the blind. Now, think about this. Because the first thing I've always thought about is the miracles of Jesus. I mean, he healed blind men, right? But this wasn't just physical blindness. This was spiritual blindness. Come on, somebody. Jesus wanted to, to, to take off and remove those spiritual blinders, the blind spots. Let me just be honest. There are blind spots that every single one of us have within us. We all have blind spots. We have to be honest about that. And so it's not that God is hiding like, oh, hope they don't see me. You know, and then if you do stuff, they're like, ha, ah, like we're playing hide and seek with Jesus. Now, that'd be fun. You probably never find him. He's really good at hide and seek, I guess, but maybe not. Maybe not. Seek and you shall find. It's like, there he is. There he is. Anyway. But it's not this idea that God's hiding. It's our inability to see God for who he truly is. It's our inability to see God as a loving father as a father whose grace is sufficient, as a father who is full of mercy and forgiveness. But how do you see God? Jesus says, by being what? Pure in heart. So what does that mean? Well, we know that the word here, heart, in the original language refers to the mind. It's your thoughts and your emotions. So it's really this mindset. Do you see how everything Jesus is talking about, it starts with your mind and your results and your actions and your lifestyle? But it's not a life of legalism, like try harder to be something you're not. It's Jesus saying, awaken to who you already are. And then if you know who you are, the outflow is going to be righteousness. It's going to be right living. That's awesome. It takes the pressure off, right? 
So it means the mind, your thoughts and emotions. So if that's true, what does the word pure mean? Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Well, what it doesn't mean is being perfect. Because <laughs> if it was just being perfect in every, you know, never having a wrong thought, never having a wrong motive, being absolutely perfect in all your thinking, well, guess what? We're out of luck. But that's not what it's saying. The word pure here in the Greek is the word katharos, and it means clear and clean. I was, I was reading this this morning, and something just came to me. You ever heard someone say, man, they're just like, you, you got some foggy thinking going on. You need to clear your mind. Clear and clean. But the definition goes on to say this, free from every admixture of what is false, sincere, and genuine. Now, what do we talk about here all the time? We talk about the fact that even sin, you know, we can use that word and we can make it ugly, and sin is not a good thing, but sin, hamartia in the Greek, it literally means to live from a false self or false identity. So when you see those things you would call sins, it's because you don't know who you are. You haven't awakened to who you truly are, right? Right? And he's saying that being pure in heart or in your thinking is being free from any admixture of what is what? False, sincere, and genuine. So it's getting to this place where we begin to see who we truly are. The, the biblical definition actually goes on to talk about the cleansing and pruning that happens in the vine. Does anyone remember in John 15, I believe, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches? And he talks about pruning, and that word means to clean. He cleans up. Well, why? Well, if you understand vine dressing, a vine dresser doesn't just go in and go, oh, you're not producing fruit, and just starts chopping stuff off. In fact, that word where it says he will cut you off, it's the word arrow in the Greek, and it's, it's mistranslated. Actually, if, if you were to study vine dressing in that time, if a vine wasn't producing fruit, it's usually because it wasn't getting sun, it wasn't getting nutrients, it was dirty, had fallen down into the soil. And so what they would do, they would arrow, they would lift up. That word actually means lift up as well, which makes more sense. They lift it up, they tie it off to another branch, to a trellis, and that says they would prune and clean it. Why? Because, because the vine dresser wants the vine to produce fruit. This is the livelihood of the vine dresser. And how many know our vine dresser is Heavenly Father? So he wants to clean us up, clean up those thoughts, those false ideas that we have about ourselves and others and God. He wants us to get to the root, the true self, that sincere and genuine self, who we are. This is tender care. This is love for humanity and his creation. See, it's not a matter of living perfectly. I believe it's being open to Holy Spirit pruning and cleansing areas of our life that aren't genuine, areas don't, that don't reflect our true self, which then led me to Matthew chapter 23. And we're not going to read through this, verses 13 through 36. You can do that on your own time. But it's called the seven woes or the woes of Jesus. Anyone familiar with this? And he's talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And man, I'm telling you, if you just read through it, you're like, Jesus was always just so smiley and said such kind words. Well, he just calls it out sometimes when it comes to religiosity and the things that hurt people, doesn't he? But he's calling them out on all kinds of stuff. I mean, he, he calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, you're beautiful on the inside and you're rotting on the inside. I mean, it's pretty strong talk. I was reading, I was like, I had to put it down for him. I'm like, ooh, Jesus, man, just lighten up a little bit, bro, you know? 
But he wanted, he wanted people to understand because he saw what religion had done to people. Now, this isn't hating on the religious leaders because how many know there were a lot of religious leaders who believed in Jesus and followed Jesus? But there were some who were so stuck in their denominational box, I'll say, that they would literally, Jesus said, there's poor among you and you ignore them. You're saying prayers and acting all holy, but inside you're rotting. Why? Because they're living on a false self. He wasn't saying you're filthy and rotten. He's saying you need to awaken, repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is within you because you are not reflecting the kingdom of God. You're rejecting people. You're not allowing them to worship. Come on. And so he speaks directly to the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And the main thing that he's saying from verse 13 through 36 is that they are hypocrites, they are prideful, and they are judgmental. And how many know those religious leaders just fell in love with Jesus that day, didn't they? <laughs> but he's calling them out. He specifically says, and what does he call them? Blind. Why? They couldn't see God. They, they literally were working for the religious system but they didn't even know who God was. You see, the opposite of being pure in heart is to have a hypocritical, prideful, and judgmental heart. See, we let our, our pride and our arrogance turn us into judgmental people. Come on, you've seen it. Why is it they always have to pick people who represent the church who are just so mean and angry and judgment. I'm just, I'm being honest. It, it, sometimes it just breaks my heart. It's like, that's not what the kingdom's about. It's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. It doesn't mean that we're okay with sin. Why would you be okay with someone being something they're not? In fact, the, the very word hypocrisy is acting like something you're not. And Jesus calls it out. And there's many times in my life where that, that, that still small voice, that gentle spirit, Come on, it calls me to the mat. It says, that attitude's not right. That doesn't line up with who you are. But I never feel shame. I never feel guilt, to be honest with you. Because the way the Holy Spirit deals with us is gentle. Just like Jesus says, I am meek, I am gentle, I am humble of heart. It's never to lord over you and tell you that you, come on, think about this. We're as kids. Now, you might have grown up in a household with an abusive father, abusive parents. It's hard to really wrap your head around that. If you had an abusive dad, then, hey, you know what? See God as a mom. God's described as all kinds of stuff in the Bible. I mean, even feminine attributes. So, hey. In fact, Holy Spirit in the Hebrew and the Greek, when it refers to spirit, is feminine. Come on, ladies. I thought I'd get an amen out of that. Come on. The fact is God is spirit. We know that. But as human beings, we're trying to wrap our head around what this God concept is all about. And so what he's calling us to is blessed are the pure in heart, those who have allowed the Holy Spirit to clean and clear out, to, to, to bring us to this sense. Of, the best thing, when I, when I first, the first day I walked in, years ago to my therapist he had this this uh, snow globe on his desk 
And it literally just had like a tower or something inside it, one thing. And he said, that tower represents your true self. That's who you are. I'm like, oh, I see it perfectly. He goes, now you see it, now you don't. And then he shakes the globe. And all of a sudden, how many have ever seen a snow globe? When you shake those things up, man, you can't see anything, right? He said, now see all the stuff swirling around? These are all the false ideas and the lies that we believe about ourselves. And so most of us, all we see is the trash, the trauma, the, the, the triggers, the things that have set themselves up. Some things we don't even realize are there. And so we're trying to see our true self. But how many know if you look through a snow globe, you're not seeing the true image that's there. It's not till it clears away and it settles. And so what Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to clear us out, to, to clean us out, to prune us, to lift us up in order to bear fruit, in order to see who we truly are. The only way we can see God is by allowing Holy Spirit to remove the blinders, to remove the hypocrisy and the pride in our ways of being judgmental toward others. And here's what I found. When I find myself being judgy towards someone, do you know why it is? It's usually because I've been judging myself. Because I've been going through... Listen, I, I prayed the prayer at seven years old. It's been a journey. And now I'm like 51 or something, you know? So it's been a lot of years. And I've been on this journey and I, I'm navigating. But as I do, the, the fact that I'm close and clean to God, I'm not dirty and distant, make all the difference in the world. The fact that his love is unconditional. There's nothing I can do to get him to love me any more or any less. Come on, someone needs to hear this this morning. Because it's the love of God that transforms your heart. And when your heart's transformed, guess what else will be? Your words and your deeds. See, fear might get you to make some decisions out of what may happen, but it doesn't change your heart. And so it's getting to a point. And as I was saying, as I've gone through this life and more things get cleared away and cleaned up and I see the truth of who I am, Man, there's no arrogance. There's no pride. My goodness, my status within the family of God, my forgiveness is all because that's who he made me to be. It's not about me. It's about what he did. And that allows me to be everything he's called me to be. Does that make sense this morning? It's only in this state that we can truly see or perceive who God is and thus follow his example of being humble, genuine, and compassionate. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Will you stand with me this morning? As we bring this to a close this morning, it's imperative that we're open to Holy Spirit open to the voice of spirit, open to the moving of the spirit to change our perspective on the love of God for us. And for some of you, that's a hard thing. We're told to love others as he has loved us. And there's sometimes I struggle with that. And it's because I don't see that true unconditional love of God for me, right? But once we do, it gets us to a place where instead of wanting to retaliate, with someone who's done something, said something, you literally have, like it switches gears and you just have empathy and love for them because you know that they're operating out of their false self as well. It's just, it's beautiful how that works. 
And this opens us up to a, up to a life of, of living, uh, active compassion. And Jesus said, in return, we ourselves receive active compassion. And also, when we come to a place where we, we just are open to Holy Spirit, healing us of that hypocrisy and that pride and that judgment and those attitudes towards others, it's in these moments that we see God for who he really is. That's like the blinders come off. Isn't that beautiful? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace. We thank you for the active compassion which you've shown us. We thank you that you're always actively moving as not just love, but also light. And that light, what light does is it exposes things. You turn a light on, you see. And sometimes that light will expose things we didn't know were there. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's being judgmental. Maybe it's a feeling of being unworthy. In either case, they're lies. And you expose those lies, not to bring shame, but to bring healing, to bring your truth. Say this with me, Heavenly Father. You're so good. Holy Spirit, I'm open. My heart's open to you. If there's anything that's wrong, any lies that I'm believing about myself, about others, or about you, reveal that to me. And Jesus, I welcome you to bring your healing virtue into those areas of my life. I receive it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Isn't God awesome? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.